one. Hey, Jordan, how are you doing? Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. No worry. Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. Um, maybe you can tell uh, our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do and uh, the platform that you run. Yeah, sure. So for whatever reason, my Siri just activated. So, but uh, yeah, I'm the publisher of the dossier on Substack. Um, you go to dossier.today. It's the easiest way to find it. And we, we kind of focus on, um, you know, combating uh, institutional uh, ruling class narratives, uh, especially, you know, in the Western press and in, in the Western uh, political hierarchy. So, um, you know, I, I think our, our readers enjoy uh, unique information on that front, not just, you know, uh, conventional uh, contrarian stuff, but we, we try to dig up as much um, open source um, investigative material as possible that's both intriguing and kind of resourceful to, um, you know, combating these, uh, you know, this authoritarian ruling class that um, unfortunately <laughs> rules the world right now. But, um, you know, there's definitely um, reasons for optimism uh, across the world, uh, you know, in the face of this environment, too. Sure. I mean, how important has platforms like Substack been in this arena in, in order to produce alternative journalism and get your alternate takes out there? Yeah, it's huge. Um, there's really, I mean, Elon Musk should be applauded for what he's done with Twitter. But Twitter isn't really so much of a you know, a long form journalism program. Um, it's more so just short bits of information and there's still ways to go with what's going on at Twitter. But if you look at the rest of the social media landscape, I mean, it's entirely captured. We, uh, we have the dossier have a, have a site just to repost some of our stuff at Facebook. And we've basically, you know, I put the thing up a month ago and we're basically shadow banned into the uh, shadow realm now that they, They've flagged us so many times that we're dead. Um, you know, and the same with a lot of these other organizations that you really, you know, there are some narratives that you cannot cross. You can't speak, you can't even uh, lightly critique them. You, you can mock them in a more sophisticated way. So the censors don't really realize that you're mocking them, similar to like, you know, living in like the Soviet Union or something. But um, it's very captured. So that's why I appreciate uh, outfits like Substack or say Rumble that really have a solid track record for promoting free speech. I think Substack is basically, uh, you know, undefeated in, in standing up for its principles um, and no platform is perfect. And we still have this issue with um, centralization of platforms. And, you know, you have this hierarchy that I think can be solved through other means. But um, for now, I, I really appreciate what they're doing and, you know, especially during this like last few years of COVID hysteria, there were very few places to turn to where you could get a platform. I mean, I was pitching, um, you know, I come from the right of center media world and um, I left basically right when COVID started and I was pitching some platforms because I wanted to write about, you know, I think that these lockdowns are insane, but they, um, a lot of these uh, publications that you would be aware of, basically told me that, you know, we don't really want to publish stuff because this is like a serious crisis, yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, I don't think you're taking it seriously enough. So <laughs> Substack gave, gave me an option to make my voice heard. Um, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I like the platform Substack. And I mean, 
I mean, was it worrying to you to see a little while back where, I mean, we, we need to, I think we need to get into Elon Musk and the claims that he's made and he kind of represented this idea of being a complete free speech absolutist and free speech was going to return to Twitter. And in many ways it has. Uh, we, people are no longer getting banned for misgendering, uh, fortunately. Mm-hmm. I am a sort of left-leaning liberal, but I fully concede that right-leaning conservatives were the first to get the ban hammer for their views on Twitter uh, before Elon Musk took over. Uh, but however, there's a few things that Elon's done, decisions he's made since that have been quite concerning. Play- when you place that in the realm of freedom of expression, I mean, just to link it back to Substack, not so long ago, he was throttling uh, traffic to Substack links, preventing those from being shared, liked, etc. And I mean, isn't that a worry, really, that even though Substack provides you with all this freedom to write what you want, somebody like Elon can have a political disagreement with them and prevent access to it on one of the biggest social media platforms on the planet? Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't great <laughs> for sure, um, and there's certainly some drawbacks to um, you know the the guy ha- has to rely on the U.S. government to get his rockets into space and has a significant interest in placating the Chinese Communist Party um, through Tesla. So it's just the reality. But to his credit, I think he's definitely put himself out there when he ha- didn't have to. Um, so I think it's, I, I think you're right. It's very much a mixed bag. Um, and there's still a lot of stuff that they haven't figured out, but in terms of like net contributions to reality, and I've you know written plenty of stuff that's critical of Elon Musk, uh, recently too. I, I think that, uh, you know, so far his record on Twitter, at least I, I, I hope that he's moving it in the right direction, but you're right. There are a lot of interests that, will seek to cripple that um, free speech momentum. And it, it is worrisome for, for sure, you know, that they are powerful actors with a significant stake that can influence what he's doing. So we'll see. And, I, you know, I, I certainly hope that Substack and Twitter can, can find a way to get along because um, I, I talk to Substackers about this quite frequently. And what happened with the, um, you know, the, the Substack shadow band is, is it's crushing a lot of these same people who had only one platform really to turn to uh, because Twitter is kind of like rolling back a lot of the traffic to Substack. And, you know, there's some types of workarounds that you can do, but it has been harmful to a lot of Substackers. And, and I do hope, I, I, you know, I don't have like the back ends on the, available to me. You know, Elon has made some accusations and so have the people that run Substack about, you know, who's in the right and who's in the wrong. But I, I hope that they can, you know, get their shit together and, and um, you know, move forward in, in the right direction because they should be partners. Um, Twitter is, you know, a company that Elon Musk bought for over $40 billion, probably not worth that much right now. But still, you know, Substack just did um, a round, a funding round, valuing itself at like a billion or something. So they shouldn't be in the same app. They should be working together right now. And I hope that there is some, you know, because it's been going on for months and, you know, I hope that they can resolve that. Sure. I mean, I'm just kind of trying to get my head around what a solution might be to a lot of this, because you would have heard heard this a million times. And I always hear it whenever you pipe up and make, uh, you know, share a gripe about, uh, you know, social media censorship and things like that. You'll often hear, well, 
they're a private company. They can do what they want. And that is technically legally correct. But for me, it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that these platforms have really become the town square. They have become the conversation. I don't don't actually think it's possible to be a journalist with any sort of public profile now without having a Twitter account mm. uh, for instance so uh, what what is the solution here i mean is there a way that social media companies could be held uh to the standards of the first amendment is that a slippery slope well, how, how do we get to where we need to be with these companies yeah i'm certainly not an attorney but i but i share the um I, I share the feeling that you do that you know these companies are basically you could almost call them like quasi government entities in that they've you know, half of the stuff that happened that Elon Musk, to his credit, was helping to facilitate the release of through the Twitter files and whatnot, was how captured these organizations were um, by especially like the U.S. intelligence community and how they were, you know, this like the Russia Biden laptop narratives, how they kind of just like shut that down. And it was through the kind of like intrusion of the FBI and these other forces that aren't supposed to be interfering, but yeah, that there has, there has to be something, there has to be a solution. I guess I'm not a galaxy brained enough to, to figure it all out. Um, I, I certainly believe in the, in the decentralization of uh, social media, but, but it's tough because, you know, when, when you've built up a platform over a number of years, um, it's easy just to say, you know, we should just blow this all up, but, but you're right that there is something to be said about, um, being able to reach the masses and having the right to do so and having at least some type of speech protections, um, uh, you know, against just being shut down. I, I think that there should be some type of recourse, you know, if these people are just going to shut you down. But again, you know, when, when the government is kind of b behind the curtain, that, that opens a whole nother can of worms there. So, yeah, I, I wish I had an answer to that, but uh, I guess I'm just going to humbly say, like, I, I, I just hope that we can. Uh, I think one of the answers is, is holding the government accountable for sure. Um, and then hopefully, you know, th that'll kind of tamp down at the problem of government interfering, because it was really, you know, like when you look at all this Twitter file stuff, it was really just the government pushing like Twitter was. And, and Facebook and these other actors were actually pretty hesitant to enforce a lot of this stuff, especially the Hunter Biden laptop censorship. But it was, if you recall, it was the FBI who was sending out all these memos to executives at the social media companies saying like, hey, be on the lookout for uh, Russian disinformation. It's coming in a number of weeks and days and hours. And then they saw it. And then it was kind of like a cue they took. So I think it's, it, it's, it's both a problem of, you know, it, enforcing the ability of anyone to have access to this public square, but also holding the government accountable for what it's doing behind the scenes and violating, you know, our speech protections. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose censorship and banning people and suppressing things, suppressing information rather is, is one thing, but we do have a big problem really. And I think it's a bigger problem than many will acknowledge of genuine misinformation on platforms like Twitter and this kind of information can travel the world, uh, be retweeted thousands, hundred thousand times over, you know, thousands of likes and remain on there with demonstrably false information. And one of the ways Twitter have tried to combat this, which is interesting, and I, I find a lot of value in it, is the community notes function where people can go on there and add context, corrections, 
things like that. Now, what, what's your perception of this function so far? Is this something you feel is working well or is this something you feel could fall prey to manipulation too and misinformation or be used for political purposes? Where are you on the, the community notes function? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of, of slapping labels on, on people's tweets. I, I, I would rather it, because you're right, it opens up this whole new avenue of potential censorship or, you know, this majoritarianism where perhaps someone is right about some things. But, you know, like the way you can, you know, it, it's, it's pretty easy to lie with statistics. So if, if you just have thousands of people um, review your community notes that you added to this thing and say, yes, it's, yes, it's very helpful. And it's kind of like nonsensical and misleading. I've seen a lot of those labels applied. So I, I'd rather them just uh, do away with the community. I'm honestly not a big, I, I, I think that it's just, you know, people can have rational, uh, most people have the rational ability to evaluate facts on their own, you know, feel free to go crazy in the replies and attack people for, for uh, you know, misinformation, disinformation, cheating, lying, whatever. But um, I, I, I feel like adding labels, it reminds me of the, the old regime where you're just trying to like shame and cancel culture people. I think that, you know, if it's their platform, people can always just ignore what they're saying and, and you know, write their own tweet. I don't think that I don't like the labels idea. I suppose. I mean, Twitter was struggling to make money for a long time before Elon Musk took over. That influenced a lot of their decisions as well. Elon Musk seems like he's trying to implement a lot of things to make it profitable. We have the Twitter blue subscription, these various new functions coming in. But it seems to me that at some point, Twitter may tip over into something unrecognizable from what it was. The thing that appeals to everyone, this little micro blogging site that you can mm -hmm. search any word and get any information and it's, it's instant. Is there a danger here that he'll turn it into just a less um impressive version of substack or a, you know a, a less uh profitable ver profit profitable version of facebook is he is he running a risk here with all these changes there's definitely a risk um but given his business acumen and track record i think that he's shown that he's been able to create some incredible companies you know whether we love him or hate him um but i i think you're right that he's trying to turn this into what he calls the x app something like that where it's just kind of like a you know, it's a financial services, banking, social media, uh, video, podcasting. He wants to turn it into an everything app. Um, and that requires a lot of sophistication. So um, I wouldn't want to be in a position to be leading a company that's trying to do everything. Um, I think he's taking after uh, in China, they have you know, WeChat and they have some other apps that are really uh, all inclusive, you know, payments, uh integrated with all kinds of good and bad things. Um, and I think that's kind of his model. I don't know if it'll work. You know, I think that Twitter, if he, I would rather him, you know, unsolicited advice from someone that is not worth much, not worth 40 whatever, or $100 billion. But I'd, I think that you're right, that Twitter as a, as a mic, like Twitter engages an enormous amount of people you know, the elite, the so-called elites, uh, you know, the credential class, they're all on Twitter. You know, they tried to go to Mastodon or these other places and failed or, and, you know, the right tried to go to uh, some other sites and, and failed. And Twitter has, I think, perfected the model. And I like what he's doing with offering, um, you know, for, for blue subscribers, you could, you know, you could post your entire podcast, entire video. And I think he should continue down that route. 
Um, but but the idea that Twitter is going to be an everything app, I don't see it. But but maybe you know I could be proven wrong. Well, I mean, swinging back to this idea of Twitter Blue and the subscription model, I think I I paid my I think seven dollars or something to try it for a month, and then you know canned it after that. I couldn't really see the utility in it. Um, I mean, the idea of posting longer videos uh, appeals for sure, but it's probably not worth the price of what you could get a Netflix subscription for, maybe. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, it brings me to this like, this question of the blue tick. Now, this was used for verification purposes before for notable and public figures. And this could be anyone from between a president of a country to some guy who had a newspaper column for his local newspaper who had a, a low reach or whatever. It was just a way of verifying it. And that made sense to me that at some point, it became uh, political with the old regime, and it was almost used as an endorsement of that individual. There's um, a notorious British activist called Tommy Robinson uh, in the UK you may have heard of. I have many issues with Tommy Robinson. I've, I've agreed with him on, on many things as well, but he is Tommy Robinson, and to my mind, he should have a blue tick, and that was mm -hmm. taken away from him at some point because Twitter disagreed with some of the views he was sharing on there. Uh, and now, in order to sort of remedy that um a, a lunacy towards the blue tick elon is sort of selling them as a perk now anyone can have a blue tick which to me seems to have rendered it completely meaningless is there some method to the madness here that i've completely missed yeah i i think you're right it's just a, it's a total reorientation of what it means to have a blue check i was also um a, a legacy blue check and this was basically from what i understood it was to prevent imposters from using your name likeness, trying to, you know, spam people, trying to sell something under your name, trying to impersonate you. And actually the, the transformation began under the old regime where they started to take blue checks away. Um, if you know who Robert Spencer is, he's um, like kind of like a, a he's a critic a, of yeah, anti-Islam. Yeah. yeah. So his, his blue check, I think was one of the first high profile people that, and they just, I think it was him who, um, not, not the, uh, you know, white nationalist Robert, <laughs> Richard, Richard Spencer, Spencer, but Robert yeah. Spencer. Yeah. Um, he, I think, got his taken away because, uh, you know, it was like a form of punishment. And, and then it started to change what it means to be a blue check. Then it's like, okay, so this is like a, like a celebrity Hollywood status label instead of a verification badge. And over time, it is, and there was also stories of the old executive rulers of Twitter selling blue checks or, or, or high-profile uh, Twitter employees selling blue checks for five, ten, fifteen thousand U.S. dollars. Um, so the whole system, Elon is, I think, right that it became corrupted. I'd rather it see it just as a verification badge against um, imposters, but it's certainly not that. Now it's basically like. Um, a check to show that you are a subscriber and that's that based, and you have additional perks. Um, unfortunately, I think that what it's starting to appear to be is that they're trying to push everyone. I mean, from a business perspective, it makes sense, but I worry about the, um, the totalitarian impact that that may have by trying to get everyone's um, identity verified, because I think Twitter is also an important place for, anonymous people to report on information that don't want to be, you know, verified by some big social media blog 
blob. Um, I think it's, I, I would love to see a space for these anonymous people to continue to spread whatever message they want to do, either from behind um, very authoritarian countries, or they just, you know, let's say they work for Microsoft and they don't like what's going on at Microsoft. I'd rather them give a voice to those folks. But if you're going to verify everyone with social security numbers, phone numbers, uh, credit card information, it's going to be very tough for them to say anonymous. And I think that they are rightfully concerned that this is the direction the company's going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a huge amount of sympathy for dissidents, uh, certainly foreign foreign nationals under totalitarian regimes, for instance, whistleblowers, people like that, who it wouldn't be particularly conducive to their uh, existence to reveal their identity for sure. Um, and I suppose a, a way of sort of trying to place Twitter in the in the zeitgeist. I mean, it's in terms of human interactions and communication and the way we consume information, it's, a, it's it was invented a couple of minutes ago, really, in the grand scale of things. And do you think this is having a, a net positive impact? Because like we've just said, you know, whistleblowers, dissidents can have a huge reach. People such as yourself can uh, spread your alternate news from your platform. But however, it has become a bit of the Wild West and it seems to be deranging a lot of people, it seems to have the ability to influence elections. For sure, it seems to be able to dominate the news cycle. I've seen hours of news footage of people discussing tweets nowadays. And I'm just wondering if we were to get a net balance on this, has it been a positive thing to our cultural landscape or a negative thing, do you think? I think it's a positive, especially when led by someone who isn't going to actively enforce regime narratives. Um, for sure, I'm, I'm encouraged by the decentralization of information, the distribution of information beyond the reach of just reporters at the Washington Post, New York Times, and The Guardian controlling the, the means of distribution of information and communication. I, I still think, despite its faults, that, that um, it, it's a huge plus that the, the age we're living in is there, there will still be mechanisms, even though there you know, are in, insane censorship regimes that are helping to um, you know, try to throw elections even. But I, I think it's still a, a net positive that you could have you know, Joe Schmo in Wisconsin um, revealing information about this Fortune 500 company that's employing him and having some notable figure retweet that and then millions of people see it. So I, I think that it's, it's very valuable to have that means of communication in today's society. Yeah. And I mean, I've certainly been a beneficiary of this and certainly the idea of, you know, digital platforms, it's kind of democratized the process. We can all have a YouTube channel for the most part, depending on what we say, of course. And I think this seemed like a great way of removing the gatekeepers, the editors who decided who could be heard uh, but it's also provided a lot of people who would do well not to pass any sort of gatekeepers to to sort of profit uh, and, and push their message out. Because it seems to me that doesn't matter how insane, untrue, conspiratorial an idea may be, you will be able to find some people online who will reward it and, and come back for your information and, and your content. So it seems like the crazes of the world can get to a position they wouldn't have without digital media. If I'm being, if I'm being a bit uncharitable there, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that the, the crazies of the world are the ones in charge right now. So it's, <laughs> um, so I, I think that, you know, there, there's certainly crazies on all sides, but um, 
you know, the, this, uh, I think that the, the Western ruling class in today's society has, has bad intentions for the world. Um, what they're doing with their, um, I guess you can call it their climate agenda, what they did with the COVID hysteria era. This was all stuff that was incredibly damaging to humanity. These narratives that they were pushing, um, either distributing falsehoods or just total nonsense and slapping a science label on it. And it harmed millions, if not billions of people. So I'm happy to, uh, you know, give a voice to some crackpots that for <laughs> to like even them out. But I think that there's, a, you know, it's still in that benefit because there's so many people who can challenge these narratives who won't be immediately silenced like they were in the past. I suppose a lot of attention and focus, especially under the previous regime, uh, too much attention and focus to my mind was given to this idea of abuse or harassment or mean words on Twitter. It's especially difficult in the UK. We have some very bizarre and antiquated speech laws uh, surrounding what you can and can't say. We have a malicious communication act. I, I could have, I could have a police officer knocking on my door if I, mm -hmm. if I tweet the wrong thing. It's insane. But to me, I mean, somebody who receives a fair amount of uh, abuse and hostility on Twitter themselves. For me, I have the tools in my hand. I mean, first of all, I can, if something, if I can put something in my pocket and forget about it, I don't consider it a huge issue. And over time, we've been given more and more tools to mitigate this. You know, the, the block function, for instance, the mute function, um, the mute conversation uh, function has been a, an absolute godsend for me. Uh, you can leave a conversation now. Is this enough for people? Should people just learn to either disengage, ignore, uh, or get away from platforms that make them feel like they're under attack? Should, are we giving too much weight to how people perceive online abuse? Yes. Yeah, I, I entirely agree that if you don't like someone, you can always block them, mute them. Um, and if people are so shook up from, you know, Trust me, uh, you, people say crazy things to me on social media all the time. Um, they will attack, you know, your, your physical features. You, if you're going through a hard time, they'll tell you some awful things. If you're going through a good time, they'll try to bring you down. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting as someone whose um, platform has definitely risen more recently over the last four or five years, the more that your profile grows, you'll just have more haters generally you can you can be the the kindest guy in the world um like the next like uh gandhi or whatever whatever you want to call it <laughs> and people the the loudest people will always be the people who trash you it, it's just it's just the reality of i guess human nature on the internet and i've come to accept it and people just need to learn to grow thick skin and it you know these pl platforms, if you're easily shook, you either have to learn to grow thick skin or perhaps, you know, do something else. Because the idea that, um, you know, that people need to be censored for hurting feelings and whatnot, I, I think I think is wrong, unless there's some type of um, widely accepted illegal behavior going on, like threatening people, that's different. But just like, you know, calling someone ugly or fat or whatever i mean have at it i think that's <laughs> that's when the government steps in and says oh you know we're here to protect your feelings and it'll be better if you just kind of like let us do this so i'd much rather have it kind of being a wild west of information in, enforce the law like for threats and and real abuse but other than that um i, I think it should be a, as open a platform as possible these sites
I agree. And I, I've invested a lot of my time over the last several years in the, the, the gender uh, debate. In the UK, it's primarily sort of left-leaning, middle-aged feminists that are at the forefront of this. In the US, it seems to be coming from the sort of conservative right, which a lot of people, you know, use that as an excuse to dismiss people's voices coming out of the US. And for the longest time on Twitter, Twitter had taken a very distinct mm. political position on this people like was it megan murphy who was banned on twitter for saying men aren't women or something like that there were lots of feminist uh, activists on the left and right who were banned from that plot platform for basically failing to agree that it was possible for human beings to change sex and that seemed to be all it took for the longest time and i'm just wondering given the influence of twitter on, on the public discourse how much damage has it had on that conversation the fact that for the longest time many people were entering it with one arm tied behind their back yeah no you had to do really sophisticated mockery because you know it was the trans stuff or covid you know, you depart from the institutional narrative publicly and visibly on Twitter, they would lock you out of your account. And then the second time you do it, they'll probably ban you forever. So it was it was crazy those times. I remember that Jack Dorsey was in this photo um, with all his employees at Twitter HQ and they were wearing shirts that said like black trans lives matter. You know, they're just like bringing together all of these like woke virtue signal terms. And it, it got so insanely out of control. And I don't, I don't blame Elon Musk for purging like what eighty percent of the company, whatever he's done, because it's just you know with a lot of these Silicon Valley outfits and and corporate America in general is so indoctrinated, inundated with this ideology that the only way to get rid of it is just to to dump basically half your staff and <laughs> and you know they they should definitely be applauded. I, I still think that there is some bad censorship going on on Twitter, but. Uh, on these particular issues, I mean, this was like, you know, it, it especially it, it's so concerning to see this stuff um, just being normalized in society, um, you know, from, you know, U.S. kind of right wingers perspective, who has at least more protections than Europeans do. Um, they're really trying to install that type of censorship regime in the United States, too, under the guise of like, you know, protecting the feelings of uh, supposedly marginalized individuals. Yeah, I, I some advice from across the pond. Cling on to that First Amendment at all cost. Mm. It's a it's a beautiful thing which I'd, I'd quite like a slice of uh, myself over here. But Jordan, I've, I've enjoyed speaking to you. Maybe you could just point our our viewers and listeners towards your work. Where can they find more of you? Yeah, so much appreciate you having me on. Uh, you can just go to dossier.today and that'll take you to the dossier on Substack, which is my publication where we publish all of our best work. But again, yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks, Jordan. Take care. You too.